Welcome to the Harnessing Happiness podcast. Upbeat vibes generated and transferred to you. Now here's your host, Sarah J. Naylor. Hello and welcome to Harnessing Happiness with myself, Sarah J. Naylor. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, it's great to have you as my listeners and know that you're all over the world, which is so exciting. Anyway, without much further ado, I'm going to introduce you to, well, I'm not going to introduce, I'm going to get her to introduce herself, but I have the fab Caroline, aka Gibbs, with me today. Um, and the reason I can call her Gibbs is because I've known her for donkey's years now. <laughs> so I'm going to introduce the fab Caroline Gibbs to you who can introduce herself but now you know who she is but anyway over to you Caroline. Oh thank you thanks Sarah for that or nails as I call her uh, (laughs) for that that clear and concise uh, introduction. Um, My name is Caroline Gibbs and I was trying to have a little think earlier on about how do I introduce myself and what I like about a progressive journey through life is that every time I think about how to introduce myself it changes um, because I change. So uh, my sort of bog standard description that might be somewhere on a, I don't know, a website somewhere, it may be out of date by now. So today I view myself as an experienced listener, uh, an honest speaker, uh, a coach, um, a group facilitator. I have a group called Yourself in the World, which is an online wellbeing discussion group. Um, I'd like to think of myself as an aspirational writer and poet, but note the word aspirational, not inspirational. And I'm all in all, I'm a very interested in you person. Oh, I love all of those titles, Gibbs. And I was thinking as you were saying that, that you're forever changing and forever sort of recreating yourself. I was thinking, really? So you're a bit of a modern, modern day Madonna? Well, now that you mention it, yeah, uh, no. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the, the, the sort of the conical bra that you're wearing not at the moment. To do with then, the, lacy, the lacy hair bands and the gloves with no fingers. It's not that then. And the right <laughs> skirt. Vague memories of that. And that wasn't my generation, that was my daughter's generation. <laughs> yeah, but you have got legs to die for, Gibbs. That is true. I can't argue with it that. It is very, very, very true. Yes, yes. And. And I am, I'm going to say this to the audience now. Um, and eyebrows too. Eyebrows. I mean, I'm we, we would be without my eyebrows. Every morning, yes. just before I go out, I say to myself, oh God, have I penciled my eyebrows in? Because they are my greatest form of communication. And I'm only sorry that your listeners will not be able to benefit from my fullest expressions of my feelings via my eyebrows. <laughs> And for the benefit of the listeners, this is absolutely true. <laughs> Caroline, a.k.a. Gibbs, is, um, expresses herself extremely well through the use of eyebrows. And she, and her humour, as you will discover, is very dead bad. She makes me howl most of the time because you think, is she being serious? But you know there's this... <laughs> This this, this very, very naughty undercurrent of humour, which uh, the eyebrows uh, do do tend to give away. So any time that you're thinking, they're thinking she's being very serious, you've got to imagine that the eyebrow (laughs) is raising above the spectacles (laughs) as I'm looking at her. Enough now. Don't tease your audience, Nails. (laughs) They shall just have to meet you in real life. Oh, dear, but we, our paths met. Oh, my gosh, we've known each other for a long time now, which is why I'm so keen to bring you on, because our journeys have really sort of changed along the way, haven't we? But we both qualified and studied at slightly different yeah. times with the same 
um, training yeah. body for, you know, coaches. So we've both got a level five qualification in yeah. performance coaching as of about 10 years standing, is it? Um, I think I, well, I got my certificate in t- early 2012. So that's it. I think I did it in 2011 then. I think I did it with Liz, Liz Abraham or Bram, as we call her. You've had this on before, haven't you? I've had Bram on, yeah. So, um, yeah, because I started studying at the back end of 2011 and I qualified in the 2012. But we met on the sort of online graduate supervision, didn't we? That's right. And then several years later, we thought, "Mm, I think we've (laughs) we've just somewhat gone a little bit above and beyond with our experience at the new graduate coaches so we we formed our own breakaway group and well you formed it actually it was you that uh, never did didn't really wasn't it I mean uh, Mm -hmm. it was a yeah it was a fantastic group when we're not all there all the time uh when we meet up now but we've got a good core membership with our little group that we keep absolutely each other and, we, and obviously like you said you you me and um bram we all meet up on a regular basis as well and that's the beauty of it isn't it the conversations that we have mm. and we're sharing each other's journeys along the way yes and, and i think we all bring very different things to uh to yeah. our sessions together um and, and earlier this week i mean i've been sort of diarying diarying about it ever since is the conversations that uh, you and liz had with me about where i felt a little bit stuck earlier this week mm-hmm. and that was extremely helpful to me and i suppose good advice uh, is more helpful when you trust the people that are giving it and you they you know that they know you really well and that also they they've got your best interests at heart and they're speaking from experience, they're speaking from a place of love and sort of um, non-judgment, if you like, and not what you need to do is, you know, not, not sort of trying to boss you into doing something. I think all of those aspects have been really important to me. But that's, I mean, that's great to hear. But isn't that the beauty of sort of the coach training and the journey that we, we've all been on and how, I mean, I have to say, I have over the last few years been sort of somewhat alarmed by the volume of coaches in inverted commas that are out there that yes they've got a coaching certification however when I know the journey that we went on in terms of what it took to get to that qualification because obviously it incorporated NLP and all nature oh, there, was, there was so much learning to it and obviously we've all done so much more since but there was a depth to it. There was there was a lot of work that we had to do with mm. with the learning and the sort the the the, the um, guinea pig coaches. Oh, yeah, well, that, was, that was really important. Back in the day, you had to find some sort of piece of equipment where you could actually film your guinea pig, if you like, sessions and send them in to be critiques and you had to write up a big report yourself on how you felt it gone what had been your purpose what tools had you brought to it had they been effective it was as you say very in-depth and not a quick overnight you know a bit like passing a driving test in you know the quickest way it was a it was a long course really mm-hmm. yeah but it was very very well put together wasn't there, there was yeah. so much that was covered and it sort of you because we did so much that was um Oh gosh, you 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 had so many experiences. You had so many things you had to prove as examples. That resonates, and you, you because you're having to work with those coaches. You're having to, I mean, for the benefit of the listener, when we were doing this course, you know, we had to find. I think it was half a dozen people that wanted to um, experience some coaching to help us practice our trade. But we would have to write a um, a plan before we 
actually did the coaching session, send that off for supervision, have that critiqued, yes. conduct the session, then do the follow-up. And it was all critiqued. It was all yes. supervised. So yes. there was this constant feedback, wasn't there? And sort of, but, but, but with unconditional positive regard, which was really empowering because they always focused in on the bits that you were doing right as opposed to or, or and where the bits where obviously you weren't there was a question mark how would you have done this or how could you have done that but there was net you were never ever reprimanded for doing something incorrectly no did you get told off caroline hmm? oh is that my <laughs> <laughs> again Oh, dear. Naughty. I think the eyebrow went up there, listeners. <laughs> Can your eyebrow have a knee-jerk reaction? I don't know, but anyway. Now, that's an interesting conundrum. No, no I, think, I think to answer your question, which you directly asked me, which was, did you get told off then? I think the honest answer to that, and I am an honest speaker, is that I felt told off. But I may well have been just being helped to see where I might have um, might need to reflect on my coaching and reconsider how would be the best way to help that client. But that was the whole thing about the course that I wanted to interject into what you were saying about uh, the benefits of it, which was it's for me it was a very uh, it was very it was a great opportunity for self reflection. Uh, it was uh, you couldn't get away with much, basically. No. I felt, especially when you went to the at Derby days, as I'd call them, whereas a lot of this mm-hmm. course was online. But when when it was the at home in Derby days, you know, at our tutor's home, mm-hmm. uh, that's yes. when it, you you couldn't really get away with anything because you'd be there. You'd all be there around the table, you know, either in the sitting yeah. or at the, you know in in the meeting room, and yeah, there was no real um, escaping from looking at yourself as a developing coach. Or being asked no. asked to pop in front of a mirror and have a little look. Oh, yes. Mm. Mm. No, it, it was really fascinating. I have to say the journey that I went on through the study to become a coach was one very much of enlightenment, of change, of advancement, of de- the personal development was just yeah. phenomenal. And, you know, I, I know I changed wholeheartedly as a person in my outlook um, as a result, I mean, obviously things had happened over the years prior to that and experience other, you know, other life experiences. But once you understand and you learn how to view the world in a different way and you understand more about how the brain works and you start to pick up and, and you have these moments and this clarity. And, you know, you might not understand, you know, might not grasp every single NLP tool and technique, but you you grasp the ones that resonate because we obviously all experience the world in different ways. And then you know what to bring in then when you're working with your coaching clients. Mm, for sure. Fantastic toolkit by the time you finish, even though you mm-hmm. say you're not quite sure how to use the tools at first. You know, but you've got the toolkit and you learn and you learn by using them. Um, but the other aspect that I think was so important, and, and I know that um, people talk about it a great deal with counselling courses, but I, I think it's the same for coaching, is, is being willing to look at your own stuff. Um, yeah. to I can't remember the expression now, you'll probably be able to think of it, but there was something about, um, something about stepping in and out of your own, oh, frame of reference, do you remember? Are you, oh, 
Are you in your own frame of reference um, when you're with the client, you know, when we're giving feedback? Were you at that point, were you in your own frame of reference or did you remember to step out of that and just be in the client's uh, frame of reference? So it's all about sorting out your own shit, actually. Make mm-hmm. sure you've done that before you bring any of your shit, if I may use these words, on your... You may use that word. <laughs> You know, making sure you've got that sorted out, you can name it and uh, and clear it up a bit with a shovel before you start trying to offer anything to a coachee or client. I believe that was really important. Yeah, and also one of the, I mean, oh gosh, there was there was so much. You know, like ask not tell and the opposite behaviours continuum and being a dis, you know disassociating and association and sort of understanding and getting into and stepping into you know somebody else's shoes, feeling it and seeing it, but also sort of stepping back and and listening, listening. You mentioned listening when you first opened oh, yeah. and introduced yourself. You see, I was listening. Yeah, you were. And I'm an experienced listener now, whereas actually in my former life, all I ever, ever wanted to do was broadcast only, as my daughter calls it. What are we on? Broadcast only. Everything was all about me. Well, giving you the platform, Caroline, can you talk and share with my fabulous listeners all about you because obviously your journey through life as you've said you know you've you've kept evolving you've kept changing but you know you you have from what I know about you obviously from the entire the umpteen conversations we've had the hours and hours of conversations we've had over the last 10 years um I've learned a lot about you and the journey you've been on but would you would you mind sort of charting some of that please to, to enlighten the listener because I think it's very empowering for people to hear how much you've well, how much work you've done on yourself to get to where you are right now and actually still view yourself very much as a work in progress, as I do myself. Yeah, yeah, and, and always will be a work in progress, of course. But actually, the work didn't even start. I didn't even think anything needed changing or working on until um, about 22 years ago, actually. So it's not really been that long that I've been on this journey of... Um, I don't want to say self-improvement because I always think of Robert Holden who says, um, you know, uh, nothing's more valuable. No amount of self-improvement can replace self-acceptance. But so I won't talk about self-improvement. But but I certainly wanted um, I needed to change things in my life about 22 years ago because I'd reached a really uh, an awful rock bottom uh, through addiction to alcohol at the time. And so, but before that, before I became addicted to alcohol, I was a very different person. And, you know, this person I was telling you about that would really only ever be on broadcast only. I had no no social skills to actually consider um, things like, let's go fundamental. I didn't really know how to say, how are you? How's, how's your week been? Um, how are you feeling? Um, oh, so what have you been up to? Um, I was so hungry for attention, I suppose, fundamentally, that, that my behaviour manifested in the way that I would just... Someone started to listen to me, I would just talk endlessly and without any boundaries whatsoever. So, you know, for instance, if I made a phone call to somebody, I wouldn't consider what time I was ringing them. It could be middle of tea time when I knew they got small children and they were probably cooking dinner um, it could be late at night it could be any time that suited me to because I wanted to talk to somebody and I would then talk on the phone to that person uh, not asking is it a good time or uh, not mm-hmm. near the phone call in advance 
all the things that I've learned to do today, and just talk and talk and talk until until the poor soul at the other end, if they have any boundaries at all, would say, look, I really, I'm sorry, I really need to go now. And I can remember, um, it was in the 1990s, I can remember one of those occasions, and I can't tell you what a pain of rejection it caused in my chest when she just said to me, with one child on her hip, stirring a saucepan, trying to get dinner for the other child, of course she should never have answered the phone to me, but that's not the point. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There probably wasn't caller recognition then, Caroline. (laughs) I'm going to go now because I've got to give the children their tea. And in my head, all I could think was, but I haven't finished telling you what I want to tell you. I was so hurt I, I never forget things like that because they're so alien to how I am today mm-hmm. I don't ever want to forget not in a punishing way but I don't ever want to forget what I was like before because I don't ever want to be like that again um, and and that I suppose all of that neediness and um, attention seeking if you like literally I suppose like um, so many people that have had difficult childhoods stem from a difficult childhood where um what do they call it nowadays? They call, they've got a list of about 10 things that can happen to children. They call them adverse childhood experiences. I'm so pleased there's a name for it now. Because when I was born in the mid-50s, and they didn't give a name to anything that happened to children in those days. It didn't <laughs> very important, um, you know, as long as they were quiet and not seen um, and didn't make a fuss. But, um, yes, so there was this list of 10 adverse childhood experiences, and I can remember coming across them when I was training um, to be a family support worker um, not that many years ago, but doing some training. And I thought, oh, this is fun. I'll go through the list and see how many I tick off. And I think the only ones out of the 10 I didn't tick was um, a parent has murdered someone or a parent has been murdered and a parent has gone to prison. So that was quite good. There was some I didn't tick. But um, oh my gosh! But the, the point of the adverse child experiences, I gather, is it's like a way of measuring how likely it is that that child, as they grow up, is going mm-hmm. to be um, prone to um, very dysfunctional relationships or addiction, or being very drawn to being in relationship with addiction, someone with addiction, or someone with very dysfunctional behaviour. Blah 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 blah. And actually, it was such a relief uh, in in the. Um, in the 2000s when I was doing this training to feel I felt validated actually I felt yeah. like oh so I'm, I wasn't making a fuss then no you, you suddenly realized that it was kind of was a thing and it was it was like it had been recognized it had been acknowledged which gives you as you say it validates how you'd been feeling and you're not alone in how you'd been feeling because all of those things had impacted on you and let's face it it's learned behavior isn't it what you go through in those first seven years of your life is learnt behaviour, so it's understandable that then you replicate yeah, absolutely. it. Absolutely. I mean, in the first, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to bore you with my entire history. We haven't got time. When you're, when you're 60-something, you've got a very long history. It's all right for a 20-something-year-old to give you the life history because it doesn't take <laughs> long. But long story short, yeah, very very, um, very, di- very dysfunctional childhood with um, parents that were honestly doing the very best they could, but they were pretty resourceless. And I know that looking back. I mean, I do have a lot of compassion. They're both, obviously, both dead now. They'd be in their hundreds if they were still around. But, you know, I have a lot of compassion now for them. But I didn't when I was younger. I was very angry and very 
um, yeah, very angry and very bitter and unforgiving towards them for a long time, and that doesn't do you any good either. You know, resentment is like drinking poison, isn't it? And expecting the other person to die, it, it doesn't doesn't really hurt the other person unless no, you're constantly no. telling them how awful they are. No, because you're just telling yourself, aren't you? Because actually, is it what you say and what you speak actually affects your subconscious. Mm. It's not really doing anything to anybody else at all. So, yeah, like you said, you said something just then about this business of what's been modelled or all that you know. And, of course, you know, growing up in a, in a, um, a as I say, a very chaotic and, yeah, really unpleasant household, actually. I mean, um, I think the worst part of my childhood probably was when my father remarried and my stepmother was a, an alcoholic, but not the stereotypical sort that you might find passed out or slurring when she spoke or not able to walk along a straight line. No, not that sort of alcoholic. It was the behaviour, uh, which is, you know, um, common in other scenarios other than alcoholism, but it's that behaviour of the unpredictability, the mood swings, um, irrational behaviour. When you're a, a child or a young teenager, you know, coming home and almost like sniffing the air to see if you could just work out what sort of atmosphere am I coming home to today. Um, yeah. Luckily, I do say very luckily, all three of us, my stepsister and my brother and I, um, were sent to boarding school, but actually that probably kept us away from the dysfunction, you know, for most of the year. I certainly benefited from being away from it. But um, it was very destructive and very damaging actually when you live in that environment um, mm -hmm. where you're told shown and it's demonstrated that you are not valued no one wants to know what you think don't talk about it don't answer back just that whole it's like you become yeah. invisible and I think you know again trying not to go on for too long but I think that's where the attention seeking comes from um, you know, people always use the expression about young people at school, particularly like, oh, well, you know, all this attention seeking. But as a family support worker, many years later in the 20 teens, let's say, and I was working with young people that had been sent to get some sort of help from me, if you like, because they were attention seeking, I would be like, well, attention seeking means that someone needs attention. Yeah. It's not that they're. Uh, nasty manipulative you know bad young people which is how sometimes busy members of staff might see them because they disrupt the lesson and the teaching and they are a very great inconvenience um, <laughs> yeah. but actually attention seeking means they're seeking attention and I think all my experiences as a teenager I have never forgotten um, I don't hold on to them now in a sort of negative way. I've never forgotten them because they help me to find absolute compassion and empathy for all the young people that I've worked with when I was in school. I totally yeah. get it. I totally get it. And I've often had clients as a coach that have been quite young because of my experience. Um, you know, I, obviously I get parental permission if they're under 18, but I have worked with young people at 16, 17 and 18 years of age. And even though I'm um, chronologically very much older, I still have enough ability to stay fresh on what it was like mm -hmm. to be in those family situations and how it felt to be able to get into their shoes and offer them some of my experiences to ask things like if it matches anything that they have been thinking yes. and feeling. Yeah. If not, it, it sets them on a springboard to be able to say, no, no, it wasn't quite like that. It was more like this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but there's nothing more empowering, is there, than somebody who's 
listening to you and you're being heard because that whole thing that you were saying about attention seeking mm. it is about wanting to be heard but they don't know how to go about it because they haven't got the the skills in order to do something about it because they're too young to understand but you know then the journey that you've gone on the fact that you can do that and you have been doing that and you are such a great listener because of your experience mm. is is phenomenal which is why you you've got you got on so well with doing that but you've I mean you've gone on a massive journey haven't you yourself to sort of get through all of that and do, yeah. to get to where you are now so what 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 fundamentally did you do I mean it's, you know how how would people sort of follow suit well <laughs> well that's interesting because I mean anyone can use what I use but of course they probably wouldn't unless they were in a particular fellowship but what I used and um is the 12 steps of, um, of two fellowships actually, um, Al-Anon which is the families and friends of alcoholics because I grew up in an alcoholic household but also um, AA which as most people know that better which is Alcoholics Anonymous but I think the 12 step programme um, can be found in other forms in all sorts of uh, self-help practices or group practices, it's used and talked about by so many people nowadays, I mean if anyone who follows Russell Brand um, anything that he has to say will will be able to see where he is using examples from the 12 step program oh that's interesting um, I think that many of the speakers um, that I value listening to that, that are very well known most of them have been through 12 step programs or have knowledge of 12 step programs so I'm talking I mean almost anyone that I have um, valued over the years. So, for instance, I would say Susan Jeffers, you know, mm -hmm. fear and do it anyway. Um, Louise Hay had a good knowledge of the 12 steps. Um, these are all people that have had adverse childhood experiences, have done their work yeah. to recover from it and to change. Psychic change is fundamental. And that's what this 12 steps promise. They promise that working these steps brings about a psychic change. Uh, I think that's a yeah. wonderful expression. But it's backed up by, um, oh, Carl Jung, I think it was, who was very interested in the 12 steps. And he said he, said he felt that addicts, in other words, people that living dysfunctionally and addicts, would needed a psychic change in order to yeah. um, be able to let go of the addiction and the habits of compulsions and that thinking. And that's what I did, uh, sort of in a nutshell. But I love the 12 <laughs> steps because, um, you know, it covers everything. It covers, I mean, if, if, you, if I went through it... I, I was going to ask you, what are those 12 steps? What are they? If I went through them with you, which I wouldn't do today because it would take too long, but you would be able to see, because I know you, you'd be able to see that you have done the same sort of thing, but in a different way, which is why I'm saying that they're not mutually exclusive. They're not just, you don't no. have to join a 12-step fellowship. So the process of my recovery using the 12 steps was to, when it came to addiction, was to admit defeat over it, because I actually I could not stop drinking. I could not. I promise I tried and tried and tried, but I could not stop drinking. It had complete control over my life. Uh, it completely ruined my life. And uh, it was getting into a very, very dangerous situation. I mean, absolutely desperate. And I could not stop. And it was very, very frightening. And so the first thing um, I had to realise is that I am not 
um, I cannot control my addiction, so therefore I need to surrender. I need to surrender and put my hands up and say, Do you know, I'm done. I'm absolutely done. It's like me, me and alcohol are in a boxing ring and I um, eventually get the sense to take my gloves off and say to alcohol, look, mate, you stay there, carry on. But I'm getting yeah. out of the ring here and getting out of the mm. ring and walking away, no longer trying to win over it, trying to fight it. So there you've got you've got you're admitting you're powerless over alcohol and also coming to realize that trying to be powerful over alcohol, trying to defeat it in that boxing ring where you're about two foot high and it's seven foot four, you know, um, it was insane. It's about recognizing mm-hmm. the insanity of the behavior up until now. Um, closely followed by um, acknowledging that if you're powerless over alcohol and your unmanageable life, perhaps it'd be a good idea to find a power. So yes. you need to find a power. So, of course, uh, AA back in the day, which was 1935-ish, I believe, um, it, of course, America, it still is quite, but it definitely was then a very Christian country. So it was all about God. They would use mm-hmm. traditional idea of a Christian uh, deity but so over the years uh, 75 years in this country but much longer in America since 1935 it's a concept of a power greater than yourself to which to which you make a decision you decide what that power might be as long as you've only got one rule and that is that it's not you (laughs) yeah that's the thing isn't it so all you've got to do is recognize that there is a higher power and it's not you. So uh, who cares what you find? You know, G-O-D, good orderly direction. G-O-D, great outdoors. G-O-D, gift of desperation. G-O-D, uh-huh. group of drunks. Because there's an enormous power in a room yes. of AA, which is full of people in yeah. recovery. Fantastic energy. So, yeah, so there you go. You've got an idea that something bigger than you might get you out of this hole. And then... Uh, after a bit of resistance, of course, because we're only human, and a lot of cogitating, um, you might decide that you might turn your will and your life over to this power so that it could steer things and give you a bit of guidance. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's always... Hence the spiritual side of things. Yeah, the spiritual side. It's a spiritual programme. It's no longer yeah. a religious one. But by that time, and by the time you're doing this, I should have mentioned, because it's very important, that you found yourself um, a mentor or a sponsor. As they call it a sponsor in America. It doesn't involve money at all. It's just somebody. So in our world, if you like, it would be like a coach maybe or a mentor. Yes. All right? Yes. It would be somebody that's got their head around it a bit more and uh, can tell you a little bit about how they did it or can be with you as you take your journey through it and guide you through and explain the steps to you and um, talk to you about what we call our big book, which is a, a great a great name for it. It's just literally our text, our textbook on, on the 12 steps and on how to recover. So, you know, so you've got step four, then... You know, step step three, sorry, you, you, you begrudgingly probably because you're human, you think, well, I'll give it a whirl. I'll give it a go letting God take it. Go on, man. Give it a whirl. Um, and then, <laughs> then the, bit, the sticking point, but it's so valuable and it really helped me, is to sit down and start taking into account um, your behaviour, how you've behaved, mm. uh, what you've got up to, how you've tackled life up until now. For instance, on my list of ways that I've... Um, been tackling life up until now I really needed to put down well up until now I used to get my needs met by you know taking people hostage and keeping them on the phone for hours you know being very demanding 
I mean, that's just one of uh, many things that cropped up. So it's about looking at how you've been, what what behaviours you've used up until now as your coping mechanisms. When you grow up in a very dysfunctional household, you learn some very unpleasant ways of uh, coping. I mean, I can remember my stepmother accusing me of being manipulative, devious, sly, underhand, and a liar. Well, of course, I resented that for years, but over the years since then, I've realised that that is what I was to her, in her opinion, because it was the only way to get round this massive block of alcoholic behaviour, because in order to be direct, to be honest, to be all those things that I would love to have been as a child, it wasn't safe. It wasn't safe. No. That's what happens. You learn to be this conniving, going round places, because you can't get your needs met directly. So, you know, there you go. That's an example. So, But those things do need to be on the list because that's not the way one wants to live going forward. That's not the new life. The new life is no. to be able to feel honest, ask for your needs to be met directly, consider others, make space for others to speak, all that stuff. So you, you've made your list or you've gone through your thoughts, if you like, with your sponsor, who's someone that's totally trustworthy, isn't going to go blabbing to everybody what you've told them. They've probably done nothing, nothing any worse than, than you have. So, you know, they'll probably share a little bit about what they got up to in life and how they can understand, you know, what you're going through. And they, they've done similar things. And by the time you've, you've talked to someone else about it and written it down and sort of admitted to it, you've gone past step five then, which is when you share it with, uh, with yourself, with your higher power and another person. And then, um, then you start considering how you might want to use better behaviours than the ones you were using. So you, it's about becoming willing to adapt your behaviours and pick up some more healthy coping strategies rather than the ones you have been using and trying to um, let go of the old behaviours so that if they're a bit like a muscle, you know, if you don't use a muscle for yeah. a while, the muscle will waste away and not mm-hmm. be so strong. Or if you don't use a neural pathway... As you, you know, you often talk about that. Yes. It, then it will yeah. it will weaken, and actually, it will the connection will break. That's what the step six and seven are about. They're about becoming entirely willing to let go of your sort of character defects or character traits, your negative traits, if you like. Yes. Yes. Because we aren't our behaviour, are we? At the end of the day, no. we can change it. So it's about trying to change your behaviour. But the beauty of the twelve step program is that you don't have to do it yourself under your own human willpower. The idea is that if you've got a concept of a higher power then your higher power will help you to uh, yes. let go of those behaviors and and not all of them get eradicated but sadly we don't we don't all turn into mother Teresa or whatever example you want to use oh i don't know you look quite good in your nurse's outfit but i'm not sure whether it's quite the one that we would uh, we would recognize as <laughs> mother Teresa. I can keep the eyebrows. Um, but, yeah, so anyway, uh, I don't want to spend too long on this. I'm aware it's taking no, a lot it's of time. No, it's just it's you, fascinating, you though, Gibbs, because it's it's really enlightening for people to hear that journey that you've been on and what that involves. And, you know, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm going, yeah, you know, I can recognise all of these elements. And I remember saying to you about coining, because obviously how things have impacted with COVID and one thing or another, and I trademarked my eight mindset. Mm. I remember you saying to me ages ago, well, that eight mindset, there's elements of that within the the 12 steps and and for that it's acceptance perspective and energy which are it is like you were saying about accepting yourself accepting what you can and you can't change shifting your perspective and channeling your energy accordingly and that that encompasses 
all of that, yeah. but in a sort of short, short frame. But that spiritual side, that sort of bit and understanding and giving your way through to a sort of a high power, you know, and trusting that process and being prepared to trust the process is so, is paramount to that, that recovery, isn't it? And how long have you been completely sober now? 22 years this year. Which is absolutely awesome. It is. And, and I think, I tell you what, I've, I've met people in life who've put down a drink maybe 22 years ago, but without doing any um, self-work, they're miserable as sin miserable as sin because you know if you the drink was the crutch right the drink was the answer to everything yeah. when it was working because it doesn't work towards the end but when you know so that was the solution to everything was to to be oblivious to black out to to get to get drunk and not care now if you just put that down maybe go through a rehab so you're physically dried out and off you go going oh thanks very much you'll be all right now my goodness me what on earth do you do when you come across life's problems when you come across other people getting on your nerves yeah. When you come across things not going your way, you know, you still don't know how to yeah. get your needs met in a healthy way. Whatever sort of human being are you left with? It must be, I've got friends who live with dry drunk partners and it's awful. It's an awful scenario. They're not happy. They make everybody Yes. Because you've got to do the inner work as well, haven't you? It, I mean, it doesn't have to be the 12 steps. It might be therapy. You know, it might be, I don't know, inspirational books or talks by many people because there's so much on the internet now, isn't there? And, you know, your Brené Browns, your Russell Browns, your, you know, whoever it is that you, you think can help direct you. Um, you know, all the Hay House speakers that we talk about quite often. There's, you know, yes, yes you, can get, you can get your ideas from that. But, I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, the 12 steps have only been around since 1935, but Bill W., who was one of the founders of the fellowship, he would have drawn that from the influences that were already around. So I know back in the day, they yes, drew the, he true. drew a lot of influences in the early days from something called the Oxford Movement, which was obviously it was a Christian thing, but it was about that business of being willing to um, look at yourself and to admit when you're wrong and to be so uh, driven and self-reliant but to rely on a, on a on, in those days obviously God but a, a power outside of yourself but it's not that it's not that alien today people are looking for um, support from the, you know they talk about the universe don't they people are much keener to talk about the universe and you know outside yes, energy yeah. vibrations all that stuff it fits mm. in beautifully with the 12 steps and just to finish the 12 steps, you, you, you make a list of people that you know you've harmed during the time that you were acting out and you become willing to sort of um, make amends to them. And even if you can't see them or they've died or whatever, you know that you would make amends if you could. And for me, having um, teenage sons at the time, so they were still living at home, my greatest amends to them was to stay sober, but also to to give them all the attention and be emotionally available to them and be a proper boundaried good parent to them where I hadn't been before. That was my amends to them. And that, you know, we've got a really good relationship today. And I've got an older daughter as well who also comes under that sort of umbrella, if you like. And then finally, to, to be prepared to apologise as you go through life when you have put, um, you know, when you put a foot wrong here and there. Being, so it takes humility and honesty. But the most important part, I suppose, is, is remaining, keeping conscious contact and meditating when possible and being prayerful, if you like, with your concept of whatever your higher power is. So keeping that contact going, asking for guidance very often throughout the day, if you like, depending on what sort of day you're having. And um, being willing 
more than anything else in the world, being willing to share with other people who need to know about what's on offer here, um, telling them about it. The most important thing is to, to, you know, to get through the steps and become a sponsor and help other people, to share your experience, strength and yeah. hope at the meetings for people that are new in, to do service to keep the fellowship mm. running. All of this is voluntary. There's no money involved. Well, I know, but you, I mean, you know that I, you know that I know, then I know that you know that how much yeah. work that you do yeah. do on a voluntary basis through that, through yeah. other, other work yeah. that you do as well. And it's just phenomenal. And I, I, I crikey, <laughs> the thing is with Gibbs and I, we can talk for hours. We can talk for hours and we've already rattled through 40 minutes. But as you can tell listeners, Caroline is so insightful, so reflective so knowledgeable there's, there's a font of knowledge and you've not we've not even touched on some of this wicked humor that <laughs> it's just we have a how we have a laugh but there's just so much this is why I obviously love catching up with and chatting and meeting with with Caroline aka Gibbs and Liz aka Bram um on a regular basis as you can tell but sadly we've come to the end of this wonderful chat which is a real I know I know I know I know we shall have to do part two definitely we shall book in for part two but yeah I know at the moment you've got a um a group that you work with which is restarting um in september 2022 it's online isn't it but anyway how do people get in touch karen because obviously there is so much knowledge to be shared and you have got this group so yeah well i mean how do they get in touch through you if they're interested because if people are following you and your podcast could you ask them to ask you um i mean i can give you uh, you can put my email address on something somewhere i will do but can you shout it out loud yeah i mean it's caroline dot gibbs dot 54 at gmail.com i used to have a sort of fancy business address but i got bored with it in the end um so and i didn't want to pay the subscription anymore i'm just being honest with you um so that's just my email address but if people have forgotten that or weren't listening and who can blame them um (laughs) it's fascinating so be so self-deprecating they could look on my website which is caroline-gibbs.com Awesome. You see, she's got a website and everything, and she's yeah, on LinkedIn. And what's this group that you've got that is no longer a meetup group? It's it's off, not on meetup. Started on meetup, but um, it sort of grew itself. It's uh, it's fortnightly, starting from September. Dates can be uh, informed about if you ask me. It's on a Wednesday night, seven till eight thirty. We have a different focus every session. Uh, the focuses are pretty much chosen by people within the group. What I love best about the group is that I don't give all the talks. That's the best bit. Um, I uh, encourage encourage the members of the group to deliver the session that they're interested in themselves and it is um it, to me it's all about empowerment mm-hmm. you facilitate empowerment yeah i, I facilitate because it, it's very empowering for people to be allowed to take the stage and have the nerve to put something together and give it a go and they just absolutely love it afterwards it's a real esteem raiser as well we have fascinating topics We've had stoicism, we've got, we've got prejudice, imagine that's a topic coming up. We've had all sorts of fascinating things. We had um, how, how my dad and I dealt with cancer without, without using the NHS. <laughs> that was an interesting one. Uh, oh, very varied, very interesting. Very, very, very. So if you want to, if you're interested, get in touch with Caroline via her website or via the email address she's just given us and I will put it into the... Uh... The first session is free 
first session is free and let me let me inform you that the sessions aren't overly expensive either you they're very very underpriced listen listeners they're always telling me that nails and brown to put my prices up but i'm just so stubborn so come along before i get persuaded to put my price (laughs) (laughs) oh brilliant thank you so much Gibbs, a.k.a. Caroline Gibbs. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you all for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, which I am sure you will have done, please do rate and review, follow, subscribe, share away. Let's spread this happiness and knowledge and insight and wisdom globally, as we already are doing, but let's send it further afield and into much more, further into the countries. Tell your friends. Um, so yeah, this is me, me, Sarah Jane Naylor, of course, uh, Harnessing Happiness. And you can find me on my website, sarahjanenaylor.com or on LinkedIn or on whatever platform you want. <laughs> I'm, I'm usually lurking around somewhere. Um, thank you so much. And for now, take care. Goodbye. And lots of love from me. Take care. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Harnessing Happiness podcast with Sarah J. Naylor. If you took value from the content, please follow the show on your podcast app. And to find out more about Sarah's ape mindset, visit sarahjnaylor.com. That's sarahjnaylor.com.